If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome everyone. Today's show is about using customer lifetime value to arm the front line of your organization with the information that they need to build strong customer relationships. Now to help me discuss this topic is Bob McKinney. Bob is the head of marketing at Batteries Plus Bulbs and someone who I know has been pushing the edge of CLV use cases, particularly through the use of smart interconnected digital technology. I think you're really going to enjoy his stories today. Bob, Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. Hey, tell us a little bit more about your background and how you were drawn to CLV and digital tech. You know, how did you get here? Sure, sure. Yeah, I've actually I've been in marketing, digital marketing in particular, since the late 90s. I'm working on local websites in high school, just like everybody else started, I think. <laughs> but in particular, customer lifetime value, I think similar to a lot of your guests, practicing a number of, of tactics uh, around customer-centric marketing, but I didn't really have an umbrella or a way to encapsulate the general idea, of course, until I went to a conference where Peter Fader was speaking. So, Was that the, um, was that the know, first that, one where we, where we met in New York? Was that the, uh, yeah, uh, that's was that the correct, first one yep. you've been to? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. You've taken it so far in that time period. Yeah, that really changed everything because it, it's a lot easier when you have a general idea that you're going after versus mm-hmm. I know all these tactics are the right way to go. It's just I don't know how to put them together, right? And that's what that conference really changed for me. That's what I love about it, too. I've always felt like, you know, here's this bright light of focus. Let's just drive for that. So you started out in marketing. Did you start out in retail marketing? You'll Give us a little more background on sure. how you got to Batteries Plus Bulbs. You know, I started out in digital marketing from the beginning, so I'm probably one of the originals, but I actually have a background in computer science and master's degree in computer science, you know, coupled with marketing, kind of like the big data degree before there was such thing as big data. And through the companies that I worked for in the past, and most recently I worked for Land's End and based out of Wisconsin, a clothing apparel manufacturer and retailer, the amount of data that was put in front of me was enormous. And it was like, look at all the stuff we could do with this from a customer lifetime value standpoint. So with the computer science background and being the director of integrated marketing at Land's End, you know, I could take everything I learned from Peter Fader and, you know, all the other things that are out there and really apply it. And then taking that into Batteries Plus, Batteries Plus has over 760 retail locations and the amount of data that comes in on a daily basis is amazing. And, and what you can do with that to enrich the customer experience is pretty awesome. So tying that all back to customer centricity was really easy with resources that are available now. 
Wow. Well, I mean, that's a lot of signal versus noise. You get a lot of data in there. Would you say that you use all the data that you get or you use some percentage of it? You know, we use it all to start with. I work with a guy on my team here at Batteries Plus that's a quantitative analyst. And so we bounce ideas back and forth all day long. But here's the thing. The systems are so advanced now compared to where we were five years ago that you could throw every variable available into that model. And you may only come out with one or two significant variables, but there's no reason why you can't put it all into the model if you have a robust data system. So That makes sense. Tell us a little bit more about your team, how they're structured. Sometimes it matters who reports to whom inside an organization sure. in terms of how you can get things done. Absolutely. So my team, we have a great group of, of marketers, right? They're constantly trying to push the boundaries of customer experience and trying to have the best experience for the customers in general. So my team, we support 760 locations. Uh, we support the website. We support uh, traditional marketing from you know television to newspaper to, you know, we even have a, a catalog for our commercial uh, customers. Mm-hmm. So it's all across the gamut. And, um, you know, there's, the whole idea in the past year, year and a half, was to bring all that and bring it all together as an integrated marketing team, and that's what we've done. And you know, to be able to spread the data across that entire team has been an eye-opener of, hey, where should we spend dollars and what channels should we use to, to go after these type of customers? Like I said, I have a great group of marketers that have been working and doing great work independently the other departments, but now with our integrated marketing and the, the systems that we have available, the feedback is instantaneous. So we could put something out there around weather or around any kind of event that would affect our business and get instant feedback from our call centers or from the, our store owners or franchise system. So we, we actually have a couple customers. We have the you know your traditional retail customer, B2B, and we have our store owners, So which is a, a whole other type of marketing it is. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go into the instant feedback section in just a second because I think sure. that's fascinating. And I don't think everybody does that. That's actually quite cutting edge. Let's talk for just a second about your team. What kind of roles do you have in your integrated marketing team? Sure. So we do have two departments, but they work closely together. So we have our traditional marketing team led by a vice president of marketing. And she's great. She has 20 plus years of experience in traditional marketing. And then on, our, on uh, the other side, we have our digital or e-commerce team led by a director on that side. And she's always pushing the boundaries of UX design. And they're always doing like coding competitions with Google and things like that for AMP pages and all the, the cool stuff that's going on right now. So like I said, I have a great team and, you know, both those positions report up to me and then I report to the CEO. So if we want to try something, we don't have a lot of layers. Yeah, we don't have a lot of layers of bureaucracy to go through. And we say, hey, you know, we think this is going to have an impact on customer lifetime value and customer experience. Let's try it. Right. So and away we go. That's fantastic. We're fortunate to be structured that way and not have too many cross-functional purposes. So let's go back to that instant feedback idea. So we kicked off the show with the ability to use customer lifetime value to build customer relationships. And I always feel like this is one of those hidden elements under CLV. Like we talk CLV, we talk customer centricity, we talk customer equity, but really it's about building customer relationships. Why should I care about using CLV to build customer relationships? You know, maybe I'm already nice to my customers. Sure. Absolutely. So one of my, favorite speakers early on was a guy named Avinash. He's at Google. 
Not sure if you heard of him, but great guy. He always uses dating analogy. So I always think of CLV is that way as well. You know, so CLV is just a way for our customers to tell us how they want to be engaged with, right? If they're responding, if they're not responding to marketing and, and a response in this case is a conversion, right? So to build that relationship up, if they're ignoring us by not converting, then we should dial back or it's an indicator of how we should be interacting and building that relationship with that customer. That customer is actively telling us how they want that relationship to go, right? So you just have to be looking for the signals that are available to you, especially with the systems that we have available today. You know, that coupled with heterogeneity, that was kind of the foundation of all this. And saying, hey, all those customers are different. So don't treat them the same and treat them on a one-by-one basis. And you can do that with the computing systems that are available today. Well, let's talk more about that, the heterogeneity and the one-to-one. Tell us a little bit more about how you've applied the concept of CLV, heterogeneity, and the interrelatedness of all the technology. Sure. So we've spent a lot of time and just a lot of brain power trying to figure out how to build the best systems to let them have the best experience. So some of the systems were big uh, Google Cloud Platform user. And just because of the ease of use where, you know, we have a lot of Google Analytics data, a lot of Analytics 360 and BigQuery data. And so we take all that and we're saying, hey, the systems that are available to us on a one-by-one basis, we take that data into that system and, and then build experiences off of that. As Fader or anybody would tell you in customer lifetime value is, do you want to group on behaviors, right? That's, you don't want to group on, on demographics or those kinds of things. They may be indicators later on, but realistically, it's behaviors. But what if we can help shape those behaviors? And that's what we really want to do with the, on that one-on-one kind of relationship with our customers. So, It's like Don Pepper's yeah. one-to-one marketing, but now in the 21st century. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, some people would say, especially with things that are going on with privacy laws, things like that. And some people would say, hey, should we really, you know, should we be doing this? My answer to that is absolutely, because we're not using any PII data or anything like that. We don't know who you are, but based on the behavior that play, we think you want to be treated this way and, and you respond to it. And in real time, we have that data feedback and say, hey, if you don't respond to our marketing or our experiences within our stores or experiences on our website, we're not going to keep pestering you with the same message, right? That's the beauty of this is, hey, marketing does a great job of not wasting a whole bunch of marketing dollars. But at the same time, and the bigger value here is we're not you know, upsetting our customers by sending them messages that they don't want to see, right? So, so but how do great. you know they don't want to see it? I mean, other than the fact that they don't respond, how do you keep going? Sure. Are you going to give them 100 messages or 50 messages? Or is it a factor of time? How do you know when someone is not necessarily isn't interested in a relationship? Where is that statistical cutoff point? I think everybody that interacts with our brand obviously wants some type of relationship, right? So if you come to our website or go to our stores, you're initiating that contact, right? You're initiating that experience with us. From that point on, some of the, I don't want to give too much away here, but (laughs) some some of our key indicators are sure, like our time on site is a good one, but any kind of behavior analysis within site traffic, right? So there's some great work out there from some R package and things like that for like random forests and statistical packages that'll help you determine, hey, the behaviors on the website, this type of behavior leads to this type of conversion rate and first order value. So like their initial purchase is a big indicator for us of how interested with our brand are they? And then some other indicators within that saying, hey, if they're on certain 
pages of our website, they're more likely to be a commercial customer and, and we start to treat them that way. We have surveys on the website. We have you know, different A-B testing going on. We have all kinds of behavior analysis going on as the person's going through our website and going through our store as well and over the phone. So one of the big topics that we're really focusing on is obviously our phone call conversion. Oh, that's a really... Yeah, that's well, a real-time Let's talk some more about that example. I think that's a great sure. example. We talked about this before, and I was really, sure. I was stunned at how fast you could make the ends meet between what was happening with a customer in real time. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. So to start this out saying, hey, why, why would you want to look into the phone systems, right, in the contact centers and how we're interacting is the big deal for us is, like I said, we have over 760 stores. Our main job from a marketing department is to send customers to those stores, whether it be buy online and pick up in store order off the website or a phone call or driving directions to that store. So what happened was we started really ramping up our marketing to drive those phone calls and to drive those driving directions. Problem was once that customer hit the store, it was kind of a black box to marketing, which we don't like black boxes. So we said, hey, how can we figure out once they hit that store, what's happening and can we make that experience better? And that kind of led into the phone call realm of data science. Right now, we're working with a couple companies. So we do some in our corporate stores. We have a number of corporate stores. We do phone call recording, just like a lot of companies do. And we get instant feedback from that because we're running those calls through, instead of having just coaches listen to them, we have an internal, call it a bot that we built to listen to those calls in real time and figure out, hey, what is the sentiment analysis on this? And what is the entity analysis on this? What is the conversation about? And is it something that we could get better at? A great example of this is a lot of customers call for pricing availability. And hey, is, is this an interaction that should take you know, more than 30 seconds or a minute? And that's what we want to determine. And that's kind of one of those behavior things is, hey, will they be, if we give them pricing availability and it takes, say, 10 minutes to answer those questions, are they actually going to come into the store? I would say probably not. So if we can streamline that process and make it a great experience on the phone, the chances of them actually coming to the store are a lot higher. And that's really what we were focused on saying, hey, you know, this is great that we're getting all these phone calls every month to our stores, but are we converting them over the phone and are they getting into the store? And that was our, you know, our next step is saying, hey, how do we know they got into the store or how do we get them into the store? Some of the newer technologies with remarketing, things like that, we can kind of push them along that path depending on their customer lifetime value. So we can determine that from the call. So like technology that's been around forever, caller ID, we're running that through Dun & Bradstreet and other data providers to try to build out that model for customer lifetime value instantly. So that store, and then ultimately the commercial salesperson that's assigned to that store has a, as much knowledge as they can possibly have on that customer to provide a great experience, right? So if I call, say uh, I'm a customer and I come into the store, and, uh, you know, I make a purchase and at the end of that purchase, the associate asks me, hey, is this for business or personal use? And you say business use. We want to let you know about all the great things we do for business customers by way of having data available for that commercial salesperson to reach out to you and say, hey, these are all the packages we have available and, and products available for commercial accounts. And based on your 
behavior, this is what we'd recommend for you, right? So it's a great experience for both salesperson and the customer. So we're not standing in front of that customer trying to offer them things that they just will never be interested in. So let me recap this and make sure I got it because it sounds like you're connecting multiple systems from the website to the call center, but you're really pushing the call center and the ability to understand through sentiment or text analysis and perhaps the behavior that they might have illustrated on the website and reverse call lookups who your commercial team should be reaching out to. So somebody comes in and they illustrate a signature that is general homeowner, then that might not be the first call that is made by your commercial sales team and you need to help them sort it out in an automated fashion. Is that right? Absolutely correct, right? So So you're using um, CLV to help them score essentially who they should be focusing on. That is correct. So as those commercial leads go into that salesperson's leads within Salesforce, they're actually ranked based on customer lifetime value in real time. So as a salesperson's going through their leads for that day, they're already ranked for them based on a customer lifetime value formula that is done in real time as those leads come from the store. So there's really no delay. So they have like hot leads all the time. It's like the Krispy Kreme donut store, right? <laughs> donut <laughs> light is absolutely. always on. <laughs> absolutely. That, that's exactly right. I would really recommend just on the call analytics is there's a number of companies out there doing some great things. We experimented with IBM's uh, Watson and ultimately we landed on the Google natural language processing API and speech to text API. And we've worked closely with Google on a lot of these projects and, and done alphas and betas and things like that, just because like phone and regional dialects, things like are kind of difficult to pick up from speech to text. So the technology is really great right now. And just at the very least, the operational nuggets that you get out of just actively listening to customer calls because just the experience of, hey, this is what our customers are experiencing at our stores. Can we make it better? Can we make it easier for the associates? And and I work closely with the operations team and the senior vice president of stores to make those experiences amazing in the store. So that's what we're always striving for. You know, that's a great, that customer first thinking. And it sounds so pedantic and everybody's like, oh yeah, we put the customer at the heart of our business. But I find that leaders, like when you give your examples and last year at the conference when we had Bill Schlau from the San Francisco Giants speaking, they have the most senior executives actively listening to what the customers are saying and considering the relationship to the customers. And they really feel for the people who are interacting with their brand. They're not about product. They're really about relationship building. Absolutely. You build the relationships and the revenue will come come right alongside that. So you won't have to worry about your margin dollars and all the things that you'd normally talk about in a high-level executive meeting. When you start focusing and saying, hey, are we providing the best experience for our customers from an inventory, from a phone call to an experience in the stores? Are the stores clean? Are the associates friendly and helpful? That kind of thing all together, focused on that. We're working on putting that all together in a platform right now, just so we can see that every day from a customer experience standpoint and really start basing decisions around that. How do you, you know, see I, that I, every day? Dollar, That's got to be tricky. Um, sure. So we're working with a company called Medallia, and there's a couple of them out there, but Medallia, they have a platform that allows us to kind of propagate that data out to our store managers. So phrase they use all the time, it's called uh, rescuing a bad customer experience. And that's basically what it does. It's saying, hey, tied with the stuff we've already built, uh, they're mainly a survey company, but the possibilities are so much greater than what they have available from their system. So we, we can integrate our data into that system to say, hey, you know, from phone calls to everything, 
hey, we can bring that in that system and we can rescue a bad customer experience by way of, hey, sending an alert to the store manager and then the district manager and all, I mean, it could go all the way up to the CEO if need be based on, hey, we're not getting a response or, or the timing, or we just can't answer this type of question. So it just keeps getting pushed up to the appropriate person. And honestly, the you know, from the data that I've seen, um, the ROI on it is unbelievable. So just if you can turn one of those bad customer experiences into a positive one, uh, the social media and, and everything that goes along with it is, is exponential. So the, the ROI will, will definitely follow. Are you willing to disclose, is it like something X ROI, like a 4X ROI or a 400X ROI? Oh, I'm not sure yet. Like you said, we're actually implementing it right now. But the data that I've seen from these companies that are out there selling the platform, and you know, we verified with a lot of their customers, because we have a number of employees that have worked at previous employers that use this type of system. And I think coupled with all the other technology that we have that we'll be pumping into that system, well, we should see a pretty good result. Uh, uh, either way, the revenue always follows a great customer experience anyway. Mm-hmm. So what this platform really allows us to do with all the interconnectedness is provide that great customer experience. But, you know, Fader would say great customer experience is important, but a great customer <laughs> experience for the right customers is more important that, you know, honoring the uh, heterogeneity. So do you find a way to create different kinds of experiences for different kinds of customers based on CLV? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that because this is one of those points that I always seem to miss when I'm talking about this is one of the other things that we're building into this platform that didn't exist previously is from a bad customer experience, it's great and all, but to rescue that, and we're 100% focused on that. But one of the other angles, if a high customer lifetime value customer comes into that store and makes a purchase, we also get an alert from that as well to the store manager, the district manager, so they can reach out and just thank them for their business and what else can we help you with? And we have great new solution, not necessarily selling them a product. It's more providing solution to their problem saying, hey, we do on-site inspection for lighting and all these other services that we have available and being able to reach out to that customer, just knowing that customer X with the customer lifetime value and our top quartile came into the store today just getting that alert is a big deal, right? So you can reach out to that customer from, it could be you know an automated message, but we really like in these cases, an actual human being reaching out to that customer. So, and just thanking them for the business at the very least. So is that alert coming in at the end of the day or is it like real time and the store managers like, you know, they get a little ping and they see somebody's you know, social sure. media picture and it's XYZ person is in the store. And I only ask this because when I was a, uh, I was young in my 20s and I was working in New York City and there were these people that used to come into the Bombay company. And I remember this guy coming in and, and he looked at one of our lamps that had a, a horse on it. And he said, oh, that's the logo of my company. And I was like, oh my God, who is this person? And, you know, you have this moment of, should I know who this is? And it turned out to be the CEO of Jordash that was in our store. But I never knew that. You know, I I certainly didn't get a text on my phone in the 1990s. How how does that work with your store managers? Exactly that. So just like rescuing a bad customer experience, right? You don't want to call them the next day because it's kind of, they've already diffused and it's really hard to rescue that experience. All of our messaging is within five, 10 minutes of that experience. So one of the things that this platform allows us to do is have that app available on all those store manager phones and then, you know, all the way up the chain. And so 
uh, rescuing, or in this case, uh, providing that awesome experience for the customer that has a high customer lifetime value is really simple because it'll hit an alert within that app and give them all the pertinent data they need to see like, hey, Max customer is a this kind of commercial account. They spend this kind of money and this is the products they typically buy. And we can actually do prescriptive marketing within that message to say, hey, you should talk to them about this or that, right? Wow. Um, we haven't gotten that. Yeah, we haven't gotten that far with it, but we built that capability into it. So it's you think of it like a recommendation engine on the website, but a little bit more advanced based on customer lifetime value and saying the, the biggest value for this customer they may be our recycling program, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they buy all these batteries from us, but they don't do any recycling with us. Where is the recycling going? And and we can provide that service for them, which like I said, sometimes we may not make anything on that interaction, but it's more about the experience and, uh, you know, the relationship with the customer. Do you have to train the frontline to not be creepy or is there <laughs> some like you know, sensitivity training here? <laughs> Sure, but there is to a point, but at the same time, I think you've talked about this before. If I come into your store a lot and I come in and you treat me just like everybody else, that kind of goes against heterogeneity, first of all. And it's kind of annoying to me because I don't want to answer your same questions about your you going through your normal customer. Program. Yeah, you know, customer routine with me that everybody else goes through, even though I go through the doors of your store once a month or twice a month, right? Like, you know me, act like you know me instead of treating me like just anybody else that comes through the door. And I think that goes all the way back. I grew up in like, you know, mom and pop kind of a retail where you knew your customers, right? So it wasn't the creepy factor now is I think kind of a fallacy in the fact that like, especially in our stores, because our stores for the most part are locally owned by somebody in that community. And it really does go back to those relationships of, hey, Bill, you know, how's, how's your daughter Susie doing? You know, that's great. And that interaction. And, and we don't want to lose that. I say the creepy factor is, is kind of negated by like just good old fashioned retailing of, of knowing your customer base. So I love that. But yeah. yeah. And what the platform allows you to do is have a quick summary of it. Because obviously you don't see every interaction as a store owner, store manager that, you know, but it just keeps you up to speed on like those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's basically taking the the classic maybe 1950s style mom and pop, like you said, and moving that to digital speed and digital scale. Absolutely. It's just scale. That's all we're talking about here is scaling. I tell you, the best experiences you can have is having like that local deli in your neighborhood or a baker or something like that that you interact with and the person knows you and knows what you want. And, you know, that way you don't have to go through this whole routine every time you go in. And that's great. And we want to scale that. We want to have that experience throughout our whole system. And, and that's what we're working towards. Oh, that's fantastic. So let's say that I've decided that I want to try to arm the front line and I love these examples and I'm going to integrate my technology so that I can use CLV to push things forward. How should I start? What should I do first, second, third? What are your recommendations to somebody who wants to do this but hasn't been able to roll it out yet? I would say, um, listen to one of your previous episodes, the Bob Page episode, <laughs> which, you know, he says, get all the data and put it into a central place so everybody can look at it, right? Because I don't know what I don't know. But you know what? If I had a sample of those phone calls in a place where operations could listen to them, the value that they would get off those are huge. So I guess my point is to start with an actual problem and start working your way out from there. Our actual problem would be something like we have all these phone calls going to the store 
And we feel that our phone skills could be improved on, right? And there's always room for improvement. And how do we start? So if you could stand in the store and listen to one side of the conversation and say, there's got to be a way to make this interaction easier for the associate and the customer, or you can deploy technology at scale and do the same thing. And it's saying, our problem is we want to make a phone call the best possible experience with batteries plus bulbs. And how do we do that? And how do we do that through technology? And that's what I would say to anybody is start with an actual problem that you have. And we just get an enormous amount of phone calls in a day because our business is needs-based, right? So if your car battery dies or you need a battery for something or a light bulb, you're coming into the store today. So uh, to have the best experience on that phone is a big deal for us. But I want to and, call out um, what you're saying here is that yes. when you start with an actual problem to fix, you're specifically emphasizing that it's a customer problem to fix, not a company problem. So the company problem uh, is absolutely. we need to sell more X product. We need to push more product here or there. That framing is wholly upside down. And what you're specifically saying is you need to listen to what the customer problem is first and then the revenue follows. Absolutely. Our customers in particular are kind of in a point of vulnerability, right? Like if your car battery dies or, oh, or something yeah. along those lines, yeah, they're, they're already frustrated. They're already having not a great day probably, right? So it usually starts the day out uh, on a really, really cold day. Obviously, we don't want to add to that problem, right, by having a, a poor experience in our stores. And that's what this allows us to do is say, how can we make that experience better for our customers? And like I said before, I mean, you make that experience better and the dollars will follow that. And so we don't focus 100% on how do we get more EBITDA dollars. We're more focused on how do we make a better customer experience because those dollars will follow. And have you found anything that you went to solve a particular customer experience and the EBITDA dollars didn't follow? I would say the fail fast model is kind of our mantra here to say, because <laughs> you can always learn something from that experience. So I would never say like the EBITDA dollars don't follow eventually because you're going to learn something. And it goes back to why you learn in the first place and how you learn is nine out of 10 things you're going to try are probably not going to be that great. And you'll get to that 10th one, but you wouldn't have gotten to that 10th one if you wouldn't have tried these other nine things, right? And that's kind of how we work here is we're working our way down a path and there's some dead ends on it and we back up and go a different route. And that's the beauty of having like real-time data systems is we can put something out and try it for an hour or two hours with the volume that we have in our stores. If it doesn't work, we, we pull it back and try something else. Mm -hmm. And you might even try it again later or, or try it under different circumstances. I always remind myself Absolutely. that it wasn't like that Ford didn't invent the first thing he did wasn't the, the right car. It was essentially the Model T that became a fantastic success and wasn't the first one out of the gate. So every invention, every great solution in our lives, whether it's lighting or whether it's cars or something else, seems to have gone through the classic fail fast model, whether it's a hundred or a thousand times to get to the right combination. So I oftentimes feel like we lose that online because we get such instant feedback. We sometimes forget to keep going and keep going. It's not just try it once and, oh, that didn't work and let's not ever do that again. It's let's modify and twist and turn and keep going. What I would say to that is just make sure you have a, a plan for the data that comes out of that real-time system. A lot of times you're just waiting for it and then you see it and then you say, okay, that's great. But there's no plan for it, right? Saying we expect these results and if it doesn't go this way, then we're going that way. And we actually have a path laid all the way out. 
everybody makes fun of me from a marketing standpoint over here because I'm an engineer. And so all my drawings are like data flow diagrams or some kind of engineering diagram, but it helps you build up that feedback loop. That way you're not just, hey, this is our campaign and it stops and hey, we have a whole bunch of data. What do we do with it now? And so we really map out where does that data go and how many different sources should it go to? Should it go to operations or product management or whatever it may be to help the company as a whole provide that better customer experience? Got it. Got it. So after you get the data together and then you have your customer problem to fix, is there a third piece that you, and maybe the third piece is really mapping out the flow of what you'll do with it. Is there anything beyond that that you want to call out? No, I think that really is it. It's mapping out that flow and what to do with it. And getting it into the right folks' hands is honestly the most valuable thing and saying, a lot of people are calling about this particular product and there may be a problem with it, or this product is great and we should stock more of it or in getting that data in real time to somebody that can actually do something with it is really, really valuable. Instead of saying all that data pertains to product management and that data pertains to operations, just toss that aside. And we'll really focus on the conversion rate on the website or something like that. And nobody ever sees that other data. And we really, really try to get away from that. That makes perfect sense. And I think that's the heart of using customer-centric information is putting it into the lens of the customer, not into the lens of the different organizational business units. You know, the funny part is you start getting intuitive questions. So we built this model for customer lifetime value within the marketing department, and we built a function within code, and we sent it over to the IT department to implement as part of our Salesforce implementation. And then IT started asking questions of like, so what you're saying is the number of employees in a company doesn't have an impact on customer lifetime value. (laughs) And so they started asking like how the equation actually worked, which is great because the more understanding that they have, the better off everybody is. That's what we like about it. Yeah. So it gets everybody aligned under a new focus. It's not how can I protect my IT data and keep that away from product or how can I protect my turf? It's how do we make a better experience for the customer? And I think everybody can get behind that. I mean, isn't that why we join companies in the first place is because we're inspired by what they do, what they offer and what they can grow into and how we can help become something more valuable for customers in the first place. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's summarize. So in this podcast, we talked about a couple different things. First, we talked about why should you care about arming the front line with CLV data? And what I really liked here was, I've always suspected this, but it's great to hear it from someone like yourself, Bob, who's actually implementing it. But the CLV provides a singular focus for all the tactics, experiences, and other elements to kind of get in line behind. Because ultimately, that's what we want for our organizations is we want them to be healthy and financially positive. So all of that should line up into what does the CLV mean, but we don't stop there. It's not like everything is driven based on you have this score, I'll talk to you, you have that score, I won't talk to you. You haven't cut it in that fashion. You've just used it to drive the nuances behind the relationships, knowing that all customer relationships are important, right? Absolutely. 
And then when we look at what kind of impact, we talked about what the example I really liked was the commercial scoring example. You've got, what was it, about 2,000 leads or so coming in on any given day and trying to sort that out and figure out which ones your commercial team should go after and what's the value of that particular customer and how do you get them to understand a little bit more about all of your services. And in fact, in this conversation, I didn't know you had a recycling program. So I'm actually quite incented to go down (laughs) because in, in our household, we actually, we have a little box where we put all of our batteries, but what we would do is we would take them to Intel where my husband works to recycle it at Intel. And now I know, Hey, I can just take it down the street to batteries plus bulbs. So nice little conversion for you in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the commercial scoring is really a nice application for the front line. And we're seeing more of these applications in the front line too. But I also like your application of rescuing the bad customer experience and the sense that it's flowing throughout the organization. And it could even flow up to the executive level if it was a bad enough customer experience so that you're constantly triaging what the customer needs, looking for ways to help them, looking for ways to satisfy their relationship and not just meet their expectations, but meet and beat their expectations, whether that involves the product that you're selling currently or whether that involves something that you don't sell but might consider selling in the future, maybe if you got enough demand. Just a view into that customer is a big, 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 big step forward. So. You know, and that's one of the things that we don't see on a website when we're looking at digital data is we have no perspective of what we don't have already, except maybe through search. Sometimes we get keys through what people are searching on the site or what keywords they came in on. But if it's not present, we sometimes tend to be very myopic about what we can see in the data. And listening to those customers is so important. And that kind of brings us down to the third part of what should you do next. It's not just getting the data together so that you can get that customer-centric perspective you know, pinning together a product and call center and website. And that can be a little bit of an iterative process, but it's really emphasizing the importance of the voice of customer data, whether it's chat or call center, that that's such a gold mine to get people pivoted to the desire to build a stronger customer relationship and what kind of actual customer problems could you fix, knowing that hopefully the dollars will follow. And if not the dollars, at least a solid learning experience that let's think about that as maybe opportunity cost or dollars spend prevented <laughs> in terms of Absolutely. it didn't work, but you know we didn't spend money that way and figure out $15 million later, it didn't work. We figured it out quickly. And then finally, the piece that you mentioned toward the end was once you have those results, then mapping out in greater detail, what will you do with it? I oftentimes see this where people set up tests and get results and it's somebody else's problem to take advantage of those recommendations. There's not enough flow around that. So mapping that out in advance is a really great tip. Thank you for that. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything else I missed? Just a final note would say, what I usually do for my cross-functional partners is say, don't look at what we have right now tell me what you'd want to know. And that usually starts a great conversation because they've been looking at reports for years and that's what they think all we have. Mm. Just what would you want to know and start those conversations with your marketing partner that way. Great advice. Great advice. I've heard that in other more advanced organizations as well. They become great problem solvers of which data is the tool to help get to those problems. Once they know what those key problems are, they just start going after them in the organization. And it's such a powerful play. 
fantastic. Yep. Well, Bob, Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you and hear all your tips and tricks. Thanks for having me today. Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It's not magic. It is just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email the signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at ambitiondata.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.